Hello! Woo! I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Joining me today, now that he's finished gazing upon the Porzingat himself in his care of magical creatures class, it's Ringer staff writer, your maester, Jason Concepcion! And we're here on urgent business. Is it urgent? It's urgent! To tell you about Binge Mode Weekly, our triumphant return to our true home, our true dragonstone, your earbuds. We are back! Yeah! On Binge Mode Weekly, Jason and I will be taking our trademark deep dive into the topics that are occupying our minds and hearts, the events of the moment. Love the scholarly expertise and accessibility of Binge Mode Game of Thrones? Then you'll love Binge Mode Weekly, where we'll touch on everything from our favorite books and movies to the shows that are obsessing us at a given moment to the sporting events captivating us from week to week. Binge Mode Weekly starts this Thursday and every Thursday thereafter on the same feed as Binge Mode Game of Thrones. Oh, Thursday! It. Dun dun da. Give me that Hagrid-sized drum roll. Stay tuned for binge mode Harry Potter in spring 2018. Akio binge mode. Protect Hedwig. Jason, I have some very distressing news for you. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Clark, joined by Robert Mays. It's December 1st, Robert. Is it really? I definitely was not paying attention. Oh, yeah. I'm, that's the November sneaks up on you. Yeah, the, I really did not days. know it was December 1st. I forget how many days are in November pretty much every single year. So that's fun. It's cold here. I guess I should have known. Isn't it cold in, like, September? Yeah, but it gets colder, you know? Again, I didn't know it was December. I... Thanksgiving bleeds into December very quickly for me, I guess. So here we are, December 1st. Let's do it. All right, so we got a lot to cover today. First of all, I mean, the Cowboys-Redskins game last night. We can pretty much finish off the Redskins for the rest of the year. They're done. The Cowboys, I mean, first of all, did you have Alfred Morris outlasting RG3 at any point in the last five years? Probably not, although Alfred Morris always had that game where it just seemed like he was going to slowly, like, go along for a decade. Like, yeah. He was never athletic. He was just like, ah, you know, I'm I, decent at this. I remember his rookie year, some of the guys who were playing against him were saying he sort of, I, I don't want to, this is the wrong phrase, but I'm going to use it anyway. He sort of waddles yeah, to the, he point does. That, the point that it's hard to tackle him. Yeah, and he's that's a very a odd game. style. We talk about like, you know, games that, that translate to old age, like, you know, Allen Iverson, Russell Westbrook, the, the sort of um, athletic point guards. Those don't necessarily uh, translate to, to success throughout your, your 30s. Having said that, literally waddling is, uh, is, a, is a way to last past your rookie contract. It also helps when the other team has no offensive linemen anymore and you're getting fumbles and interceptions left and right off tip passes. When Des Bryant does the one thing Des Bryant does well now, which is just leap over someone in the red zone and catch a touchdown pass. I kind of liked it because we were burying Des Bryant. The news cycle the last two weeks was Des Bryant should like, I saw a 530 headline that they should just ignore Des Bryant. From now. Dak should ignore Des Bryant. Well, that's where you throw the ball to Des Bryant. Right. It's down there. And that's what I Jerry mean, Jones said. I don't know if you saw that. He said, that's how you get the ball to Des Bryant. He's decent at that. In that area of the field, he can do some damage. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not sure that this game makes me feel that much better about Dallas. I just think that just Washington was kind of a mess. I mean, the amount of turnovers they had early. I thought Cousins is actually pretty good. I mean, I know he had the pick, and then you know later in the game, as things are kind of falling apart. But for most of that game, I had no reason, again, to not believe he should be paid and be a starting quarterback next next season. Yeah, to- totally agree. All right, Danny Kelly joins us later to finish out our fantasy football regular season with the best possible lineup. Finish strong with DK. But first, let's get to our favorite four. These are our top four favorite matchups of the weekend. Robert, we got a good one this week. Big yeah, NFC man. showdown. Viking. We got first of all, we got a couple good ones. Vikings at Falcons is our headliner. I mean, how can it not be right now? I think that what Minnesota's been doing, and you know, doing it on national TV on Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. kind of if you haven't seen the Vikings, now you probably have well, as you were preparing to eat a lot last Thursday. If they looked impressive again. And then Atlanta just slowly starting to get rolling here. I mean, becoming the Falcons team that we thought they might be coming into the season, offense really starting to click. And now you have two teams that present just some fascinating matchups. I mean, just all the individual kind of one-on-ones in this game, some that we're going to have, some we may not have, I think could end up swinging it. Friday is the 15th anniversary of another Falcons-Vikings game, which is when Michael Vick split the Vikings defense in half and made them hurt each other. If How long was that touchdown run? Like 80 yards or I, something? I don't it was remember. insane. I don't remember. But that it's that it's, was his second season then? Would have been 2002? 15 years ago, yeah. Yeah, I think it was. It was a 2001 draft. I think it was. Because the number one pick in the 2002 draft was David Carr. Um, yeah, let's, let's gloss over that. And now <laughs> um, the Falcons have a just as electric quarterback in uh, Mosinu. <laughs> so... That, that is that is a good joke, and I agree Thank with you. you. And he might be, if considering what the Vikings be able to do with Case Keenum, I think that Mohamed Sanu would be able to do a lot of damage as their quarterback. But I honestly think that Mohamed Sanu might be a huge part of this game because we'll see what happens with how often Xavier Rhodes follows Julio. If he does, that's a fascinating thing to watch. Mm-hmm. I mean, those two guys going at it is must-see television. And then you have Sanu against Trey Waynes on the other side, which... Trey Waynes likes to grab people. He's not necessarily good at avoiding contact. Muhammad Sanu is a pretty physical receiver. I just feel like that could be a recipe for several long pass interference penalties. Not like 35 yards down the field. That would be the Taylor, the Taylor Gabriel variety. But like just in the intermediate areas where Waynes mugs him and the Falcons get free first downs. I just see that happening a couple times in this game. It's interesting to me. We talked about how last week about how you think that the Vikings have the best creative pressure packages in the mm-hmm. NFL. And, and and I'm I like seeing those sort of just as a as a football observer, I like seeing those sort of matchups where the Falcons have so many um weapons and it's it's pretty hard to attack them. And to see what Mike Zimmer is going to do just pressure wise against the Falcons is very fascinating to me. I agree. And it's actually something that I wanted to talk about coming into this because I think it's been one of the main differences for Atlanta as their offense has kind of found its stride here. Over the first nine games Matt Ryan was pressured on 32.9% of his dropbacks. Past three weeks, 27.7. Boom. It's a significant drop. It's 5% of his overall passing plays. He was sacked twice in those past three games. They had an average of 1.75 sacks allowed in the first eight games. So he's been getting more time, and I think that is a big deal. Against Tampa, that's easy to do because you're not really dealing with much in the pass rush department, as you haven't been for the past 20 years. Against Minnesota... It's a different kind of animal. So the fact that you're dealing with Everson Griffin, I mean, that's just one of those things that 
he's playing as well as any right defensive end in the league. So now it's not a matter of we're going to be able to sit back there and run our offense the way we want to. It's going to be a little more rushed than it would be the past couple weeks. Even Seattle's defensive line isn't playing like this Vikings one is. So that's something to watch. I mean, if they can get to Ryan, that's when they struggled early in the year. Remember that Buffalo game? just seemed like there was someone in his lap on every single play. And that's going to go a long way in kind of turning this Falcons offense into the one we saw early in the year and not the one we've seen for the past month. I just can't believe Adrian Claiborne Riley Reef is a is a big matchup here. Like if you had told <laughs> me this six weeks ago, I'd be like, excuse me? I mean, it's just yeah. bizarre. It's just I think bizarre. The, the one I'm gonna watch there though on that side of the ball to me is more so that the Falcons defense is playing better, mm-hmm. but they're still dead last in rushing DVOA. This is very similar to the group we saw last season, even with some of the personnel changes with Poe, Claiborne coming back. So the Vikings run the ball a lot. They don't run it necessarily that well. They're pretty middle of the road in efficiency. But the last couple games, they've had big rushing performances kind of fuel them. They had 172 against the Rams. And that's pretty much how they won that game. So the Vikings, even when the running game's not rolling, they use it because the number one thing they want to do, which I wrote about on the ringer.com yesterday, is use play action. No one right. has used, used play action more than Keenum this year. And I think that that's a huge deal. So whether the Falcons can slow a team down that is going to try to run the ball is going to go a long way in trying to shut down that play action passing game. You know, it, it's interesting to me, um, just the individual matchups. You know, PFF does a little breakdown of of the sort of games within the game every week. And mm-hmm. I was fascinated with a couple of these things. You know, Diggs versus Trufant. That, that's a great matchup. Because um, yeah, they're just going to sacrifice Diggs to him and let Thielen work against exactly, Alfred, which exactly, I think is really interesting. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and Thielen, I mean... I, I would imagine Thielen has a, a, a nice game on Sunday. That would be my guess. Um, and then, you know, Sanu versus Newman. I mean, it's just, I, I'm I'm intrigued by, I, I, I'm really excited about this game and more excited than I have been for, for a game in the last couple of weeks because it's really, it's going to tell us a lot about the NFC playoff picture. Do we need to worry about the Falcons? We, we've been talking the last couple of weeks, who, what team scares us? Because there's so many incomplete teams that a lot of these teams have to be judged on on you know what they do well and with the falcons do we have to d- does a team like new orleans or minnesota or carolina have to worry about playing this team in the playoffs and that's i think we're going to find a lot about that on sunday i mean i think the answer is yes yeah i, I think that right now they're looking like that team and yes this week will go a long way in kind of determining that for sure and solidifying it but Now we're getting to a place where the Falcons are one game back of the Saints and the Panthers in the NFC South. And the Falcons play the Saints twice. Could you imagine if people have to go to Atlanta again? I mean, that is just the worst possible option for all of these teams. That is not something you want to do. Go to that. I know it's a different building, but it's still indoors. And it's still this offense. Is it louder or less loud? I've I've not heard a report on that. Have you been to the Georgia Dome before? Yeah. I've only been one time. It was for last year's NFC Championship game. I'm from. I'm, probably, from I'm from the South, Robert. Oh yeah, that's our. That's our White House. That's yeah, a good point. It's a gathering spot culturally for everyone. I was just again setting in the situation matter there, but I was just blown away by the atmosphere and everything else. So I can't imagine it's that good that fast. But still, I, to me, it's more you know your the comforts of your own home and an indoor setting for that offense that could definitely use one. So again, that's pretty far off considering they're a game back in the NFC South, but geez, man, if they can go on a run here, that becomes daunting. All right. Panthers at saints. 
Speaking of those NFC South teams, I, uh, yeah, man. I mean, this one is, this one's interesting again on kind of a micro level. I think that what we saw from Carolina last week is the type of offense I want to see from them, right? They're running the ball well. That's how they've really, they made their bones against the Jets. And that is where the Saints have been weakest this year. They're 26th in rushing DVOA. And the passing defense has been really good, but they haven't stopped guys on the ground. And yeah. if the Panthers can get something rolling, if that is the best version of this offense. They've just had trouble finding it at times this year. See, Charles Johnson was suspended for four games. Really? Not, for that, it, not that it matters. The thing you get suspended for four games for. PEDs? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Charles Johnson's like 40 years old, right? I know. It's amazing he's still Should we there. Should just give him a break? The Panthers have are the just the anti-Patriots. <laughs> every, every, I mean, why is Charles Johnson still on the team? Yeah, well, they signed like, him to like a, a smaller contract. No, 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 no. I know, but they would have just. I mean, he, he. First of all, the fact that he he got through his entire contract was amazing. It's remarkable considering the deal that it was. Good for Charles Johnson, by the way. He was and just hats off to Marty Herney for looking out for his guys. I, I do a lot of sort of analysis of the salary cap, and I was really interested in that that Panthers team at the time when they were really good. And the reason they weren't one of these like salary cap miracles where, where they had low cost everywhere and were able to make it is because they spent so much money on Charles Johnson and Jonathan Stewart. Yeah. Good. Marty Herney. <laughs> those, those are the contracts. It's good the that Marty Herney's Charles back. Johnson. It's good that he's back. Yeah. I really hope that Christian McCaffrey gets a hundred million dollar extension the moment he can get one. It's going to be yeah. fun. Uh, Ryan Khalil, you know, obviously is going to be, I, I saw a story earlier this week that, that he hopes to play again this season, but it's probably not going to be this week. I think that's interesting. I think that's intriguing to watch. And um, been, it's funny that they've been okay without him in the running game. I mean, they haven't yeah. necessarily taken a tumble because they weren't good at the beginning of the season. So it's kind of impressive they've been able to sustain that considering how good he is. It, 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 this is going to be an interesting matchup. You know, Marshawn Lattimore not practicing on Thursday. So maybe we don't see him. And so th- these might be... I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see the Saints without Lattimore because he's been such a game changer. And, and he's known, you know, there have been so many people in the NFL who've, who've talked to me about the way, almost the miraculous way that the New Orleans secondary figured themselves out as the season went along and, and how rarely that happens. But Lattimore developed so quickly that essentially they, they were able to become a good team on the fly. And without Lattimore, you know, we saw them stumble a little bit last week. I'm, I'm intrigued to see what happens against a pretty good Panthers offense. Well, you know, that's the, the thing about that is that there's a nice, this is the nice team for that to happen with, you know, the timing on this is not bad for the saints because Devin Funches is the guy you have to worry about. And right. while Devin Funches has had a fine season, he's not, one of the wide receivers you'd be afraid of. I mean, in, in a league where pretty much every team has a terrifying wide receiver, Devin Funches is not that. I'm sorry, Devin Funches. The injury I'm more worried about for the Saints is Tron Armstead. Yeah. Because when he was hurt early in the season and when they had some tackle issues, they had the luxury of Ramchek being able to just pop over to left tackle because that's before Streif went out for the year. Yep. So now with Ramchek kind of solidified over the other side, I'm not sure what they're going to do if Armstead can't play. You know, do they move the backup guard to left tackle? Do they move Pete to left tackle? That's where you start getting into trouble when you start moving multiple guys around. So I'll be curious to see what happens there, because if they just kind of stick that backup left guard at left tackle and let Julius Peppers work against him all day, that could be an issue. Julius Peppers in in year 30 of him being an issue. 
I mean, he's had a good season. I think his sack numbers are a little inflated, just well, yeah, late in the down sacks, whatever. But he still presents a problem. No, which we is saw. Insane. I mean, I we saw sort of the his role was revealed to us early in the season. He's going to be just the guy who gets sacks. That's it, and that's fine. That that works out just good fine. for him. It's good work if you can get it. Even outside of the personnel, what I'm curious to see with the Saints' offense is the approach they take on Sunday because it seems like this is the type of game where you'd want to go away from kind of the game plan you've had for most of the season because the Panthers are a very good run defense and the Panthers don't give up big plays to running backs in the passing game because Luke Keekley is not Elk Ogletree. So is this the game where you kind of lean on Michael Thomas? You saw the game that Robbie Anderson and Jermaine Curse had against Carolina last week. And if you're looking at this Panthers defense, the secondary is where you'd want to go after them. So I'll be curious to see if this is the game where Michael Thomas gets 15 targets, where if they can find a way to hit a big play to Ted Ginn over the top, seems like that might be available. We might see a lot more Drew Brees than we've seen for most of the season in this one. The Panthers, I've never seen more effusive praise of the of anybody than the Panthers praising Alvin Kamara. They're trying to kill him. They're just like, I haven't, was like, I haven't seen anything like him. Like, yeah, okay. He, he's Luke Keekley. I haven't seen anything like him, so wow. <laughs> I think they might be okay. Alien versus Predator. Yeah, uh, hey, you know what? That works for me. Lions or Ravens, Rick Wagner revenge game. That's all I'm That's the only thing I'm watching for. Just the amount of. It's like when LeBron went back to Cleveland the first time. I was there, actually. To, which that, was the, the LeBron Cleveland thing? Yeah. Okay. I was, Are you was going this, to the Rick Wagner revenge I, game? I was not. So it was the it was 2010, and I had gotten hired at Grantland, but we had, weren't starting yet, so I just had nothing to do. Okay. So I was just sitting at home, and I was like, Cleveland's six hours away. Wouldn't it be awesome to go to this? So I went. It was great. That sounds great. Yeah. It was just like the type of thing you do at 22 when you don't have a job. It's like, all right, I'm just going to go to this random you sporting event. You went as a fan? Yeah. Wouldn't that be a prohibitively expensive event to go to if you're not a fan of one of the teams? It's like 125 bucks to buy a ticket. That's not bad. That's a Midwest, buddy. Yep. It was not bad at all. And I actually, it was very funny. I managed to sneak down to press row because I knew people working and there were seats next to them. So I, I sat in like the second row for most of the game. That's people didn't really care about the seating arrangements that day. There's a little too much vitriol directed other places. Nobody ever cares about the seating arrangements. All right, let's get to Lions, Ryan, Lions, Ravens. I think we're avoiding this because it's not that interesting of a game. It just has a lot of important implications. The Ravens are just going to make the playoffs with games to spare. It, it seems like that's that's kind of why this game is interesting. That's yeah. why I want to talk about it is that's where we're headed. If the Ravens win this week, all the excitement we have about the Chargers and everything else, it starts to get a little dire. The Ravens in the playoffs scenario, like we're looking at it and I don't like it. No one's coming to save us from the Joe Flacco playoff game. <laughs> I would be curious to see how Detroit can move the ball on this Baltimore team. Yeah. Because this Ravens defense is really good. I mean, it. we're not talking about like, oh, a defense that's better than the offense. So that's what we talk about. It's like a guy who can't shoot in the NBA. So you just assume he's a good defender when in, in actuality, that's not always true. Right. With the Ravens, it is true. I mean, they're the number one offense by DVOA. It's a fantastic group. Very few weaknesses. So we'll see what happens. I think that the best kind of an avenue in my mind is what Golden Tate does against whoever that slot corner is for Baltimore. Because that's the spot they're probably weakest. Curious to see how the cornerback snaps shake out for the yeah. uh, Ravens. Humphrey's been playing a little bit more. So we'll see how that all works. But, you know, those wide receiver to cornerback kind of advantages Detroit has most weeks they won't have this week. And you could probably say the same thing 
against Minnesota, and they still managed to make like three big plays. So that's what the Lions need at this point. You know, they need their receivers to make a few scattered big plays because, especially against this team, they might as well not even try to run the ball. Also, a Jim Caldwell revenge game. So much revenge going on here. So much revenge. Um, there's also a rule, by the way, about catchers and the lower their batting averages, the more people assume they're a defensive specialist. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's, that's another good that's one. That's a big thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I at some point, I've said this a lot. And I know it's a, it's it's a well worn cliche at this point, but at some point, you are what your record says you are. I know it's the Bill Parcells thing, but. At some point, the fact that the Ravens are going to win 10 games is just a testament to their defense. They have three shutouts. They have some dominating performances. They're able to um, score or get close to scoring on defense. Um, And so, look, I understand America's frustration if we're upset about Joe Flacco being in the playoffs. But that's that's. You know, I I just don't see I don't see the Bills sticking with them. I don't see any of the Bengals making a run. If the Chargers make the playoffs, it's because the Chiefs keep losing. I I don't know if the Chargers are going to knock the Ravens out of a wild card. And so, I mean, if the Ravens lose this week and uh, the Chargers win, they're both six and six. I mean, I think that could happen. Well, no, the Chargers play the Browns, so the Chargers play the Browns. That's what I'm saying. so So they'll probably win this week. Buffalo plays New England, so they'll probably lose. The Bengals play Pittsburgh, so they'll probably lose. So. It, right now, after this week, the Chargers should be behind only the Ravens. And I don't, I, I this, this is my fault. I didn't look up the tiebreakers for the Chargers and the Ravens. But if they're both six and six, then you start to get a little bit, you start to feel a little bit better about the Chargers' chances to kind of jump them in the next couple weeks. Yeah, but they could also just win the division. Sure. But I would, I would like two avenues for the Chargers to make the playoffs. I need, for entertainment reasons, the Chargers to make the playoffs over the Ravens. <laughs> I desperately need it to happen. What about the Chiefs? I'd still rather watch the Chiefs than the Ravens. The Ravens have um, the Browns, Colts, and Bengals to finish out the season. They have the Steelers well, next week, though. Well, so you can, pencil, lose, then. <laughs> you can pencil them in for at least nine wins, and then if they split this, then they'll get ten. I mean, I guess, I guess. I mean, I guess. I mean, I say this, but then I'm relying on Joe Flacco to reliably close out three games at the end of the season. What a strange team. I mean, it's amazing how they've managed to just milk these wins. I can't even, it's like squeezing water from a rock. It's unbelievable the fact that they can even put up points. I mean, it's just Alex Collins and nothing, and the defense is really good, and they do weird special team stuff. It's an odd team. I mean, you'd think that as a Bears fan, I would love them, but. And no one, no one seems to care that Alex Collins is so good. No, because he rushes for 60 yards a game because he gets hit in the backfield every play. <laughs> well, he's, lead, he's third in yards per carry in the NFL. Is he really? Yeah, he's behind Ingram and, and Hunt. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, it's I'm not shocked. Watching him, he's very good. It's just that offensive line is such a mess. I mean, he's really kind of churning out these 60-yard games on 20 carries. And that's to no fault of his own. <laughs> the guy, it's like one of those things you just watch a guy, you're like, oh, that guy's good. It doesn't matter what the numbers say to me. Like that guy is good at football, even if the box score looks like crap. It's when it's all over, and that's just unfortunate. Like that's just the state of this offense. Is they need him to get everything he can out of every single run, or they got nothing else. Yeah, I can't believe Marty Morningwig's still there. I, you know what? I don't fault the coaching staff that much. No, when it comes no, to this I don't mean. Right I, I, no, 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 no. I don't mean that they should have fired him. I mean, I can't believe he hasn't just incidentally already been fired. Like, I thought he was yeah, fired fair. last year. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, Flacco's been so, so terrible. And the fact that they have no offensive linemen, 
on the interior. I mean, that's just, it, it's been a nightmare. I mean, everything that could have gone wrong for their offense did. And Joe Flacco is still bad. It, it, this is a terrible situation. So I don't know. It, it's rough to watch, but again, they're just cruising along here. They could absolutely win this week and put themselves right in the driver's seat. All right, let's get into an actually intriguing matchup. Which is less intriguing now than it was a month ago. I don't care. <laughs> Eagles and Seahawks. We've talked about Seahawks so much, and it this is just one of those games where it feels like the Eagles could come in, win big, and just kind of symbolically like take a like NFC supremacy. Because sure. the Seahawks, even if they didn't make the playoff the Super Bowl last year, they have been the power in the NFC for the last five seasons. I mean, there's no denying that. And if the Eagles kind of come in and just say, you know, this is our conference, more or less, one, that wouldn't surprise you. Two, it would mean more against Seattle than it would against pretty much everyone else. Uh, I just want to say one very quick thing. I talked to Richard Sherman yesterday for a piece that went up on the ringer today, Friday. And he not only said Bobby Wagner is his defensive player of the year, but he got very, very upset at the idea that and and it's it's a bit of a brag, but I, I get it that he hasn't won a defensive player of the year. That uh, Earl Thomas hasn't won a defensive player of the year, and that Bobby Wagner, um, I guess he's not being overlooked. He will win it. But his frustration was that he thinks that defenses get unfairly judged for having too many good players around them, whereas offenses do not. Um, and he actually mentioned Luke Keekley specifically as someone who who maybe gets a little too much credit. Um, so what I'm intrigued by is seeing, and this is an unfortunate side effect of all the injuries, but I'm intrigued to see Earl Thomas and Bobby Wagner without talent around them. Does that make sense? Just to see what those pieces look like without them, because Sherman's point being that the Seahawks defense has been so stacked for years. Um, I'm intrigued to see what they do without a stacked defense. I think that the overall efficiency and effectiveness of the defense declines. But uh, watching Bobby Wagner last week, he was a monster. That's what I'm saying. I mean, the guy was an absolute monster. I think that point is extremely well taken, by the way. We kind of knock defensive players for that, but we don't knock offensive players for that. I think there are a couple different reasons. One, stats. Yep. Numbers allow us to kind of put an objective measure to performance, even if it's not objective. What happened with Matt Ryan last year? Matt Ryan was in the perfect system, a ton of talent around him just had one of the most efficient offensive seasons ever and won the MVP. So we can kind of look at the numbers and say, that's the MVP, even if we don't take into account the help that exists around him. Right. On defense, that's never going to happen. There are no stats for Earl Thomas because people don't throw at him, so he's not going to intercept passes. That's the problem. Is it hard, It's harder to parse the overall quality of defensive players and just put a number to it, and I think that's why safeties and corners that don't pick off a lot of passes and even inside linebackers – don't win defensive player of the year because you need numbers to win national. Sure. But I feel like we have more numbers now and I sort of feel like we're five or 10 years away from this happening, but you know, the old, the old joke, you know, so-and-so went the entire season without being thrown to, or, you know, has gone three months without being thrown to those guys should be automatically put into the defensive player of the year competition. And we're now able to figure out, oh, so-and-so goes 14 snaps per target or something like that. So I think that there's a little more of a need for advanced statistics, I guess, in, in Defensive Player of the Year specifically. I totally agree with you. I think that we should look at that stuff. I don't think a lot of people do. No. Do you have a Defensive Player of the Year vote? I know. No. So, I mean, that that's the problem. The biggest crime in my mind for that I mean, award, I think we could pretty easily. 
I mean, I would take one. I, I like awards. I they matter to me. I think it's pretty easy to sign up. You can do it. All right, well, we'll get you one. Sounds good. That works for me. The I think it, speaking to that, the biggest crime in that award over the past decade, I think without question, is that Darrell Revis never won it. Right. Like that's just crazy. Yeah. No, but that's, he, that's literally. But, but aside from sort of the the Namdi Asimov thing, which is different because the Raiders just had crap around him. Yes. Revis is the best example of the last fifteen years of a guy just no one threw at ever. And it turned them into the best pass defense in the league. Yeah. So it's not as if he was just this isolated player on a bad team. I think that's kind of what you could have you could have made that argument about Earl Thomas. The problem is Earl Thomas has Richard Sherman and by it's that's the issue is that giving credit becomes difficult because you throw it at everybody. Yeah, it's amazing that Darrell Rivas never won. I don't hate that he didn't win in 09 because Charles Woodson was really good that year for a very good defense. But it still is just odd to look at this list and not see Darrell Rivas' name. It's ridiculous. I'm angry about the Trent's play there. I wasn't until Richard Sherman brought this up. Awards matter to me, so I, I always you're get angry big, about you've, them. You've dubbed yourself a big awards guy. I am a big awards guy. Um, I think that stuff matters because that's the stuff that you look at 50 years from now. Sure. If we're going to use those things, and you don't care about the Hall of Fame, but if we're going to use that stuff to determine who gets into the Hall of Fame and who doesn't, then we should take this stuff seriously. That That is my opinion on the matter. I'd, I'd like to be in the Hall of Fame. I think you could get there one day. I would, yeah. I would uh, as, a, as a contributor. What's your similarity score on Pro Football Reference? Um, Who, who's, who's uh, closest Jan, to you through uh, 10 years? Jan Stenerud. <laughs> Is it, who's uh, Morton Anderson? Oh, there you go. That's yeah. perfect. Hey, he's probably on the right on the border there. I'm sure you have a case. Morton Is got there, in. Did he? Is he yeah. in? Yeah. I, I don't care about kickers. I, I care the about only, the Hall of Fame I, I, for kickers. I, I, the only reason I knew that is I was flipping through the channels during the training camp that went during training camp and I saw the induction and more Anderson was talking. That's how I found out he was oh, in. That's great. I, yeah, I did not, that, that part of it I missed. Is there anything else we want to talk about with Eagle Seahawks? It just feels like this is a bad matchup for Seattle. You know, Mike I mean, Lombardi and I did a video a couple days ago and he, he, he really, he just wants to see, and I can get this. He wants to see the Eagles in, in a hostile environment like Seattle, because it, totally is, it is a little different than, than a lot of places in the NFL. And I'm, I think we over blow it. I mean, I think playing in the NFC East, Carson Wentz has played in a lot of cauldrons. So I don't, it, it's not like he, he plays in the NFC, uh, you know, the AFC South or something like it's, it's, he's been there before, but I do think Seattle's a nice test. Um, or Richard Sherman, Earl, early investor in Bitcoin, by the way. I mean, the guy knows what he's doing. One more thing, just football-wise, before we move on here. Dwayne Brown did not practice again on Thursday. The Eagles defensive line oh is God. the Eagles defensive line. If they're missing oh one Lord. or two guys on that offensive line, it's going to get real ugly in a hurry. Not good, folks. Not great. All right, now it's time for the hottest take that I actually kind of believe. It's an informed hot take. We're not, not going to be just baseless takes. You can get that elsewhere. but Yeah, that's not for us. It depends how much time I have to do research. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it's just baseless. Um, that's a joke, everybody. Um, so I think it's pretty clear. What was the news of the week? Eli Manning. Ugh. I think the Mars should do one of two things. I think they should resolve this now. Either just release Eli. Screw it. Who cares? I guess you can't do that for dead money. But if I, what I would do is I would have fired Ben McAdoo this week. I would have I would have staged it's not a coup because you're the owner. It's the opposite of a coup. It's called running a business. I would have done what what needed to be done to extend Eli Manning's starting streak. 
because you're actively hurting the franchise. It's a power play by Ben McAdoo. It's, it's horrifying. Like, if, if you, if you want to start Davis Webb, that's one. I know that might eventually be the plan, and he keeps hinting at that, but there's also been con- conflicting reports about Davis Webb and, and, his available, and, and his playing time this week. But to end Eli's starting streak, which we know now means the world to him, after 14, 14 seasons of him, you know, being at least an above-average quarterback, and being a, you know winning two Super Bowls, I mean to to end it like this is uh, is horrifying. Just fired by McAdoo right now. They didn't. By the way, they didn't even it, during the press conference this week. Mara didn't even commit to keeping McAdoo through the end of the season. So why let him do this damage? I have a couple of thoughts on this. One, if you were Eli Manning on that practice this week during that practice this week. Mm-hmm. And somebody told you, okay, it's time to go in for the scout team, Eli. What would you have said? Um, I, I, I would have said, I, go to hell. I, like, <laughs> I'm not moving from this spot. Congratulations. I, Enjoy your football practice. The problem there is he probably gave a very angry face, but as we know, no one can decipher any of Eli's <laughs> no faces. Tell. And so they, they were just like, Eli seems fine about this. And that's the other side of this is that, you know, we poke fun at Eli Manning a lot and it's easy to do. And my first reaction was to post that photo from the Super Bowl just because I'm sure that's how he was feeling when he got that news. But this is a guy who started for a decade and a half. He won two Super Bowls. He clearly took his job as the Giants starting quarterback very seriously. And as the rest of this team was an utter joke over the last season, Eli Manning still came to work and was like a professional about being a quarterback in the NFL. To do him like this is just disgusting. Like it is just completely unacceptable and really speaks to just how terrifyingly mismanaged that team is right now. And could you imagine working, about it. Could you you just talked about how Mac, uh, how Manning was able to take his job seriously. Could you imagine working for Ben McAdoo and taking your job seriously? No, and, and that's why Eli Manning should both be the giant starting quarterback and probably an Oscar nominee. I, I, I just, if, if Ben McAdoo were my editor here, I'd show up at noon every day in a tank top. <laughs> it's LA. Doesn't everybody show up in tank tops in to the office? I wear a lightweight jacket. That's right. I know. I've seen all of them. All well, right. Not all no, of them. I've seen a lot of them. Buddy, you haven't seen any of them. It's like the end of Indiana Jones. I have a warehouse full of that. All right. We've covered a lot, Robert. What are we missing? So I want to talk about the Patriots just for a little bit. You know, you and I discuss this all the time where it's hard to talk about the Patriots mm-hmm. just because. They're so good all the time. It's a lot of the similar, it's a lot of similar topics and just similar ideas. You know, they're a very good football team. What's interesting about them? So what stuck out to me about last week's game against Miami and what I think will be a staple of their offense for the rest of the year is just how they use their running backs. So New England's number two in offensive DVOA. They were number one before last week when the Saints just were excellent again. So this is one of the best offenses in football and they're efficient and excellent in a way that's different. And if you look at the way they use their running backs, it's kind of fascinating. It, they have three guys that they use consistently. But unlike a team like the Eagles, they have three guys they use consistently and in similar ways. They're all interchangeable, and it makes them really dangerous. So the fact that you can have Deion Lewis be essentially your first down running back now, which he's become, and he's been very good at it, and then have him split out wide as a wide receiver two plays later is terrifying. On the next play after they use Lewis as a wide receiver – against Miami, they used James White on the other side, split out wide. 
on back-to-back plays, different different running backs. They have two running backs they can do that with. And the real thing is they have three running backs they can do that with because Burkhead does that all the time. If you go back and watch his touchdown against Miami, it's just a fascinating play. They line up in 23 personnel with three tight ends and a fullback. Before the snap, they have the tight end on the left, Hollister, go wide as a wide receiver. They have Martellus Bennett flip sides, and they have Rob Gronkowski go wide out to the right. They then have Burkhead motion out to the slot. So it was 23 personnel, becomes 11 personnel in three seconds, and the defense has no idea what to do. Burkhead is one-on-one in the slot against a linebacker, and it's an easy touchdown. And this stuff just happens all the time with them. They play with formations and tendencies with their backs better than any other team in the league. And it really does give them easy throws. Tom Brady's incredible. Are you, are you, are you suggesting that the Patriots are really good at tendencies, Robert? Yes, I am. I know this is not interesting because we talk no, about I'm all the kidding. time. I'm kidding. It, it, it is interesting, but it, it, what, I'm, what I'm joking about is just the fact that they've mastered every position tendency wise. I know. And it's incredible. And like, even I wrote about this this week with Pat play action and they used to it in the league. And the Patriots are middle of the road in rushing percentage. You know, they don't pound the ball at all, but they run it enough on first down to play with tendencies. They run it 52% of the time, which is rare. Teams don't often run more than they pass. So the fact that the Patriots just obligatory, have obligatory runs on first down just so they can use play action against you, they're always two steps ahead. Something is always setting up something else, and that's why they're just so hard to deal with. Uh, I mean, the only thing is that um, the only thing I can say about that is that I'm they they've gotten so good at spreading out their running back uh, shares that Mike Gillisley is not the fantasy stud that he should have been. I, I was going to mention that he's just out of the rotation. I mean, it's amazing because we figured that among all of those guys that Deion Lewis would be the guy that kind of fell away. Yep, and it just hasn't happened. They're talking he's about trading him back. at one point. I think everyone else was talking about trading him at one point, and Mike Lombardi was saying how crazy that was. They would never do it. And clearly they shouldn't because he's been their best running back. Amazing. The Patriots' ability to change the narrative like five times in a season is is extremely impressive. It's unbelievable. All right, coming up, Danny Kelly will be here to tell you who to start and sit in all your important Week 13 matchups. Plus, Robert and I will give you a peek into the future of next week's headlines. It's the Ringer NFL show on the Ringer Podcast Network. It's December, Robert. Have you started holiday shopping yet? I actually have, which I'm pretty proud of. And man, the total for that stuff piles up fast. Between that, all the parties and the events you have around the holidays, people spend money like it's water this time of year. Even water costs money, Robert, now. I know, it never ends. Luckily, people can get some extra cash this holiday season at myboogie.ag. MyBookie can service all your betting needs, and they offer super fast payouts when you win. MyBookie is the only site we recommend because where you bet is just as important as who you're betting on. They have odds on every matchup imaginable, and you can bet right from your smartphone with their mobile app. Join now, and MyBookie will match your deposit with up to a 50% bonus. Use the promo code RINGERNFL to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Time to welcome in Danny Kelly. Danny, the copy now says our fantasy football guy. You've been downgraded from genius. <laughs> How does that feel, Danny? You're like Eli the Manning hell? of the podcast. We're going I thought I've been doing pretty well lately. Gino, this, Gino this Smith. We got Gino coming in to give his uh, 
his picks later. Danny, <laughs> unless you've got the number one spot locked up or you're out of the playoffs altogether, most fantasy football players need to win this week. Yeah. It's the last week of the fantasy season. So give us some starts and sits. Let's begin with running back, DK. My guy to start this week is Alex Collins versus the Lions. Yeah. Big week for Alex Collins on the podcast. Big week. Has he ever been mentioned on this podcast? Yeah, we've mentioned it before. This is the, He's never been mentioned like four times, though. Have we talked about how he does Irish dancing? Very yeah, much? no, I was going to bring that up, but I, I don't know. Have you seen it? Uh, Have you seen the Irish dancing? I've seen, I've seen clips of it. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty impressive. It actually I mean, makes sense for, as a skill for a running back, just like yeah, foot mean, quickness. Yeah, but it's kind I of mean, a chicken and egg thing. I mean, like, I'm sure he's good at Irish dancing because he's an NFL running back. No, that's, that's what not, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I mean, I don't think that, he's a running back because he learned no, how to Irish if you, dance. If, if you're that athletic, <laughs> if you're that athletic, like I would, I would do other stuff. It's more yeah, fun than fair. doing the ladder, the ladder drill, you know, the foot quickness. Yeah, exactly. You might as well do some Irish dancing instead of the ladder drills. That's, I mean, it's much better use of your time. Danny, you're Irish. I am. I'm Irish too. I've never, I've, I've never danced. Yeah, Danny Kelly. I'm, I'm not sure he is. I've never, I, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm Irish as well. I was identifying a fellow Irishman. Uh, I've never <laughs> Irish danced in my life. I have not either. I wish I would. It seems kind of fun. You can do it. Maybe I will. This he is like the, the defensive. This is Alex like Robert Collins, with the so. defensive player of the year. I mean, these is the attainable goals here. That's true. I have no. We excuse. just don't believe, Kevin. We just don't want it enough. That's the problem. Okay, Dang, we should just believe in ourselves a little bit more. We'll work on it. Robert, we'll talk about it together. I promise we can get you a defensive player of the year vote. All right, let's make it not happen. this year. Danny, what do you like about Alex Collins against the Lions? All right, so I mean, apart from I honestly, you know, apart from just the fact that I like him as a player, Detroit's run defense has really kind of fallen off in the last few weeks. Um, I was looking at their stats over the last four games, over the last four weeks, they're giving up five point two point five point two yards per carry. Uh, they've given up eight touchdowns, and those are both second worst in the NFL. Um, and he's kind of locked in as their as their starter at this point. Obviously, they've got kind of a rotation at the running back spot, but on first and second down, he's sort of their guy. And I mean, you have to, I wonder what you guys would say about this, but it seems like this could be one of those games where the game script actually works in the favor of the Ravens in terms of they slow things down. Um, The Ravens have a really good defense. They could give some problems to the lions and, you know, the Ravens basically have zero pass game, so they might as well lean on Collins and kind of give him a heavy dose of carries this week. I totally agree. We, we talked about that a little bit earlier. I feel like it's the only route they have to offense. And what's interesting is that even if the as the Lions past def- or running defense has gotten a little worse over the last few weeks, they're actually number one in the league against, uh, or, excuse me, number two in the league against running back passes by DVOA, oh, really? which is very interesting. Yeah. So it just seems like this might not be the game for Danny Woodhead and they could lean on Collins even more than they have. Yeah, absolutely. So to me, it's both. I like Collins, and I think that's a good matchup for him. So to me, if, if you're if you're kind of on the fence about Collins, I think you should feel confident for him. Yeah, I agree. All right, now we're doing sits. Uh, my guy to sit in, at the running back spot is Jay Ajayi versus the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, obviously he's he's kind of relied on some big plays over the last few weeks. He's only had eight, seven, and five carries in his last three yeah. games. Um, he's relied on just like explosive big plays. And right now the Seahawks are actually playing really, really well against the run. They, they started out the year, you know, pretty bad. I think they were like in the, the 20s or, or, you know, like even like close to the 30s in terms of their ranking against the run. And so this year in the last four weeks, 
They've only given up 2.5 yards per carry, which is tied for first with Philly, actually. And then 64 yards per game, which is really, really good. So Ajayi, to me, feels like a really touchdown-dependent start. And with the way their rotation works, we don't really know how the game's going to go. I don't think they're going to be able to lean heavily on their run game against the Seahawks. I just think the Seahawks are going to take that away from them. So it's going to be Jai, to me looks like a risky start. That that running back situation is going to be maddening for in the fantasy yeah. playoffs too. You're not going to feel good about any of those guys. From a football perspective, it works wonders, right? Because they're so unpredictable. There's so many different ways they can hit you. But if he's going to get seven carries, you can't feel good about putting him in there, especially against Seattle. I agree. All right, Danny. How about wide receivers? My my receiver one is actually kind of, you know, I don't know if this. I was thinking about him as one of my dark nights, but I think it, it, you can feel confident about going with Marquise Lee for the Jaguars. He's been quiet the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, he's gone up against last week. He went up against Patrick Peterson. And that kind of took him out of the game. But prior to that, I saw this stat. He had 48 targets over his last five weeks before that. So he's he's definitely like the number one guy in that offense. You know, obviously Bortles isn't the best, but volume is king in the NF, in, in fantasy football. And going up against the Colts defense that. Not only, you know, they've lost Vontae Davis, they've lost Malik Hooker, and now Rashawn Melvin is out. So, I mean, I don't know who they got back there, but it's not going to be pretty. And so, yeah, I think Lee is going to get plenty of targets. I think you can feel confident going with him this week. Did you? How long do you take deciding who's going to be your dark knight and who's not a dark knight? I spend way too much time on it. (laughs) 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 I I, I essentially, usually my, my sort of, routine is to spend almost the whole Thursday night football like researching and going through everything and if I have time before that you know spend a little bit of time ever like in your mind do like a Batman shtick like you go to your cave (laughs) (laughs) I mean I told you guys uh, I do the I do the pod from the basement so no but I'm just do you visualize it are you just like this is me in my bat cave yeah I have uh, like there's like waterfalls in the back and yeah bats flying everywhere <laughs> Alfred very, you have an old he's got the mindset I understand that yeah you got to get That's into fine. it it's mindfulness okay right. who are you sitting down for the wide receivers this week Danny uh T.Y. Hilton on the other side the ball Makes there sense. um I mean good luck if you want to go against this Jags defense number one they are amazing against the pass 65 they're giving up a 66 pass rating this year Second in the NFL, 166 yards a game, first in the NFL, 5.9 yards per attempt, first in the NFL, just nine touchdowns all year, first in the NFL. Uh, and they're also first in, in DVOA against number one receivers this year. Not even just first in DVOA, so. <laughs> 38.3 yards per game to number one oh, receivers. Yeah. And their DVOA is negative 65.5. Detroit is wow. number two at negative 35.2. They are so almost twice, twice as good, as good <laughs> against number one receivers as any other defense in the league. That is insane. Yeah. To me, like, okay, Hilton's great because he, he can always get behind a defense. He's fast. And, yep. and if you want to really bank on him doing that, then then good luck with that. But to me, that's the about the riskiest receiver, you know, start that you can have this week. 38 yards a game. Good God. I wish that team had a quarterback. <laughs> it's just a crime. <laughs> I can, I, I'm going the other way on this. Oh. I like it. I like the Bortles thing. <laughs> you think it's a nice wrench to throw in there? I think it's funny. Why Why is it? Why do we need a dom? I don't want a dominant. Like, if the Jaguars had a quarterback, they'd be, they'd be going like 14 and 2. Yeah, that's fun. I would like to see them have a quarterback next year. It would I be think, enjoyable to me. Yeah, yeah next year, fine. But, like, let's, let's enjoy Bortles plus elite defense. 
All right, historically I'll enjoy for good for, defense. Hey, for the next few weeks, I'll enjoy it. And then next year, I will like watching them have a quarterback. <laughs> Who Are they going to have Eli Manning? I don't know. Maybe. Oh, probably. All right, let's get to quarterbacks, Danny. All right, so my start for the quarterback position is Phillip Rivers versus the Browns. Uh, El Bolo, he's on fire lately. He's got 685 yards passing and five touchdowns, 10 and a half yards per attempt, and 131.9 rating in the last two games. So... He's kind of feeling it going up against the Browns defense that is 27th in the NFL versus uh, in DVOA this year. You know, they're, they're not a good pass defense. They got a really good front, though. So they're going to, I mean, I'm guessing that it's going to be tough sledding in terms of running the ball this week mm-hmm. for, the, for the Chargers. So could see good volume from Rivers, could see them really rely on that passing game a little bit more. And I think, you know, he's just, it's at home. You know, obviously that's not necessarily a, a strong home field advantage but you know it should be fine in terms of the weather and all that so yeah i'm going with rivers i think it, it, it sets up for him to have a big game yep my sit for quarterback is alex smith against the jets i just i kind of just lot you know I, I, there's so many different options this week and, and banking on smith kind of regaining his early season excellence mm-hmm. just feels like a huge risk in, the, in this important of a week um last four games he's got four touchdowns of four interceptions he just hasn't looked confident. He hasn't looked in rhythm. You know, the Jets aren't necessarily like a tough, tough defense to go against. But I, I just, you know, banking on him going back to what he looked like earlier in the year, it's a risky proposition. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I wouldn't put him in any lineup. I, if you have any other quarterback at this point, even Bortles, I would start over Alex Smith right now. <laughs> right. I mean, hey, against yeah. the Colts, why not? Ready for this? The Jaguars are the only team ranked in the top five in point differential turnover differential, yardage differential, and sack differential this season. They're the only team in the NFL who've done that. Guess who the last team to do that was? The 85 Bears? The 2007 Patriots. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking more <laughs> defense, but yeah, that way that makes sense. So the Jaguars are the best team since the 07 Patriots. That's just, that's what he's saying. Put out yes. there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm comfortable saying that. <laughs> All right. Are you ready for DK's Dark Knights? Do you have something yeah, else? Yeah, so my Dark Knight this week, running back Austin Eckler of the Chargers. You know, obviously, like I said earlier, the, the Browns have a very strong run defense. And I don't know if Melvin Gordon's going to be able to get things going too much in that. And, and so they could really lean on, on the running back out of the backfield thing like that. He, he's really good. You know, he, he's explosive. We talked about this in the past. Uh, the Browns right now, very good against the run, but they're also 31st in the NFL versus running backs in the passing game per DVOA. They're giving up a league high 27% of their passing yardage to running backs this year. I saw that stat from Anthony Staggs on, on Twitter. Um, so it, it just sets up well for them. I think Eckler has 49.9 receiving points in the last four weeks, which is fourth among running backs. I saw that at per uh, Rich Ryber. So, um, yeah, I mean, it just all sets up well. So I, his name kind of was just around this week, and, and I just I think it's a good matchup. So, if you got him, feel confident. He, he's he's my dark knight this week. And even beyond out of the backfield, I totally agree with all that, Danny, and those stats are jarring. I mean, it makes him even more attractive. But if you look at that big play he had in the passing game last week, they used him as a receiver lined up wide to the left. So this is a situation where they're not only using him just as the option in passing downs, they're actually scheming stuff for him. And yeah. that's when you become... These guys get they get really interesting at that point. That's when they become exciting. It's like okay, now he's a very defined part of their offense. So it's not even as if they need to go away from what they want to do. This is part of what they want to do now. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. All right, buddy. Thank Thanks, you very much. Buddy. We will uh, we'll talk to you on Tuesday. <laughs> All right, sounds good.
All right, before we go, we want to predict next week's biggest headlines. Robert? A lot of big games this week. I mean, we talked about it, the Falcons and the Vikings. We have the Saints-Panthers. But it just seems like right now, those are conversations and kind of storylines that have been around for the last couple weeks. The new stuff from this week that I think will absolutely linger is the story about Eric Reed and Malcolm Jenkins and everything that's going on with the players. What's going on there? If you guys have not heard about this, Jim Trotter and Jason Reed from ESPN reported that uh, the league is planning to give $100 million to various social causes that kind of stem from this players coalition that was started by Malcolm Jenkins and Anquan Bolden or is fronted by them. And, you know, that seems on paper like, okay, this, the protests have kind of created some actual change and things are happening, whatever else. And then you hear that Eric Reed and Michael Thomas from the Niners and the Dolphins respectively have left the coalition because of some issues they have with demands that were made from them individually from just some of the involvement they've had in meetings. So now we have a fracturing within the group of players who kind of has taken on the voice that Colin Kaepernick wanted to establish last year. So it just feels like this is getting more complicated, not less. And the league is really trying to just write a check to kind of make this stuff go away, it seems. And I think that that is going to be a topic of conversation in both now, next week, and probably beyond, because it's a real issue if the players that are involved in this and want to get something done or don't see eye to eye and don't feel as if they're moving in step and doing it the right way. Totally agree. Um, Mine is going to be a little more on the field, though. I think you look at the NFC South, and I think we're going to learn a lot about the NFC South this week and the next couple of weeks because obviously the Falcons have the Vikings, then you have the big NFC South matchup with the Saints and the Panthers, and then next week, obviously, Saints and Falcons on Thursday night. And so I just think, and then by the way, after that, Vikings and Panthers. So um, we're going to learn a lot about this division the next couple of weeks. I think that we've been sleeping on it as a really fun competitive division. Obviously, yeah. we've known that they've been really good teams there, but there's there's a real good potential for three playoff teams and three exciting playoff teams. This yeah. isn't, I mean, sometimes you get you get a division race. It's like, okay, I don't care about the, this is, this is a good division, and I'm intrigued to see what happens in the next couple of weeks. This is like the exact opposite if the, say, like the Bengals and the Ravens were to both sneak in. This right. is like the exact opposite of that. Exactly. All the teams are intriguing. Exactly. Yeah, that Falcon-Saints game next week. Oh, boy. I'm really looking forward to that. All right, that's it for today. We'll be back on Tuesday with a recap of Week 13. As always, thanks for listening to the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.